This is an AMI podcast. The couple times that I've tried to put on mascara, I get it on and then I put my glasses on and it smears up my glasses. Are my eyelashes too long? I don't understand. Jenny Bovard and friends share the funny and awkward moments that come from life with vision loss. I'm simply here to tell you some real stories in a real way from my own personal experiences. Low vision moments, new episodes every month. Download this AMI podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Outdoors with me, Lawrence Gunther. Today we're going way up, way up, not into the stars. Well, you know, Miss Louie's going to bring us there with some chat about sun phases and moon phases, but we're going up to the Yukon. We're going to hear about some bucket list opportunities up in the Yukon, get some tech and tip on how to build boats, indigenous style. If you ever get stuck in the bush, this could come in handy, folks. And just basically imagine what it's like to be a gold miner. So hang on, get your fuzzy mitts, and harness your huskies. We're off to the Yukon. Getting schooled with Miss Lily. Lily, what do you got for us today? Uh, Arctic winters and moon phases. Arctic winters. Oh, okay. Uh So, yeah, we're getting close to winter. Why are we dealing with Arctic winters? How did you get thinking about that? People who live in Canada's Yukon territories deal with extreme differences in the amount of sunlight. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, on the summer solstice on June 21st, the longest day of sunshine each year in the northern hemisphere, Yukoners experience over 19 hours of daylight. That's a lot of daytime. That must be very productive. Yeah, yeah, five hours of uh, darkness, and that's twilight and stuff too, right? So, uh, yeah, so that's not a lot of night. That's crazy. Compared to slightly over five hours of sunlight on December 21st, that's not a lot either. No, that's winter solstice. Yeah, on December 21st, the winter solstice, or shortest day of the year. I lived in Sweden for a year, and up in near the Arctic Circle. The winter time, and you think, okay, winter time, five hours of light a day, that's okay. But you know what? The sun is never overhead. It doesn't just like come up and go down really fast. It just pops up over the horizon, stays on, above, above the horizon for five hours, and then and then slowly winds its way back down. So it's mostly, you know... Kind of like the sun works. Yeah, it's like twilight almost all day uh, for the whole five hours. It never get, really gets strong light. Naturally, Yukoners complain much less about the lack of darkness in the summer as they do about the lack of light in the winter. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Um... There's potential impact on your physical health and mental health that can be caused by a lack of sunlight. Hmm. So mental health issues are called seasonal affective disorder, and they're often associated with depression. Yeah, that's winter time, right? People get a little depressed in the winter. The winter is the best, though. I love the winter. You gotta get out. You gotta get out. A physical issue from the lack of UV rays from the sun can result when the body's photosynthetic process in the skin that produces vitamin D goes unactive. Ah, missing vitamin D. Yeah, vitamin D is crucial for bone health and for keeping the immune system going strong, which is important in the winter. Yeah, it is. It's important year-round. But if you're not getting it in the winter, you know, and I find if I don't get it in the winter, if I'm not taking vitamin D supplements, and then when I get a lot of sun in the spring, I get this big rush of vitamin D released into my body. It almost makes me feel like I have the flu for two or three days. To keep your immune system going, especially during the winter when colds are going around, that's a... That's important. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Cool. 
And, like, let's not forget about the issue of circadian rhythms. Oh, yeah, I know all about that. Yeah. <laughs> They're physical and mental changes that result from a disruption in your 24-hour hour cycle. Yeah. Changing cycles of light can upset the body's rhythm, creating issues with a person's internal body temperature, hormone release, and digestion. It can lead to headaches, mental fog, and indigestion. Oh, boy. Most people have experienced disruption in their circadian rhythms when they fly long distances. Jet lag. <laughs> Jet lag, yep. Um, for people who are completely without sight, it's possible for the body to become out of sync with the day and night rhythms in the earth. Once a year, my rhythm gets out of, out of sync. And someone says, the human rhythm is 23 and a half hours. The day, you know, is mm-hmm. 24 hours. So every every year or so, you're out by like a bunch of hours and it just messes you up until you get it back in tune again. Well, hmm. enough about the sun. Okay, enough about um, the sun. Let's talk about the moon, ah, like which it. must be amazing to observe during those long winters night in Yukon. Oh, yeah. must be really cool. Yeah. Um, there are eight phases in the moon. Oh, the, yeah? Yeah, the mo- new moon. The, yeah. Then there's the waxing crescent moon, the hmm. first quarter moon, the waxing gibbous moon, the full moon, and then when the bright portion of the moon becomes to reduce in size, there's the waning gibbous moon, then the last quarter moon, and finally the waning crescent moon. That, so that's, it's like all the points on the compass, right? Yeah. North, northwest, uh, west kind of thing. Right, okay. Yeah, gotcha. kind of. Yeah. Um, these different moon phases result from the Earth blocking the amount of sun that shines on the, on the moon. Right. As Earth spins, all objects that appear in the sky rise in the east and set in the west, just like the sun. As the Earth rotates each 24 hours, the moon itself orbits Earth every 27 days. Do that in your head, right? The world's spinning around every 24 hours, and the moon is spinning around us every 27 days. I mean, you wonder, like, is it a goal going in the same direction? Like, what's going on here, right? I I mean, that gets pretty technical. You're into math now, serious Mm -hmm. math. Well, last thing, there's no dark side of the moon. What? No. Well, Pink Floyd says there is. They made a whole record about it. Well, Pink Floyd, man, I don't know what to tell you about that. Um... (laughs) There is a there is a far side that we never see, but even the far side of the moon receives sunlight about half the time. Huh. So yeah. there's no dark side. No dark side of the moon. But there is a side we don't see. Yeah. That's the side I think the Chinese landed on with their lander the other day. Oh, that's yeah. actually cool. Yeah. People think there's like aliens. The Americans circled the moon a whole bunch of times with their uh, Apollo missions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's no aliens. Hey, thanks, Lily. Yeah. Time for the bucket list. We're talking to Dennis Zimmerman here. He's a big fish, small fish consultant. He's he's a scientist. He's working with First Nations communities, working with recreational anglers, working with the Yukon government. He's living up the white horse. Dennis, let's talk about some of your favorite places to go up in the Yukon. Talk to me about some of your favorite spots. We all know about Dawson and, and, and the gold mine, and we, we all hear about the Yukon River, but there's many other little hidden gems up there, isn't there? You know, it's, it's interesting because we, you know, those of us that live here, and there are, a, there are some accessible lakes, like I would say with boat launches and campgrounds, where you, you can still catch fish fairly consistently. Um, you know, but we're not, one thing I like to say is we're, we're not a trophy destination. And what's interesting is we're surrounded by pretty much three of them, right? We're surrounded by the Northwest Territories that has these incredible lake trout lakes, uh, surrounded by Alaska that has just, you know, the Mecca for salmon. And, you know, BC has a ton of beautiful fish as well. Mm. 
um, I'll go out and catch a couple pints, come home, and there you go. There's a couple dinners there. It, we still we're fortunate in the Yukon that we have that opportunity. Yeah, we have some really accessible campground lakes where they're putting a lot of we get a lot of pressure, but otherwise a lot of our fisheries are still okay. So I'm really fortunate for that. Okay standards for you is probably like magical day, you know, once in a lifetime for us people down here in the south. <laughs> so I would say our experience in the Yukon is probably more about, it's definitely catching a few fish and there's definitely a few big ones, but it's more about peeing on a lake by yourself or on a, I mean, yeah. we rarely have situations where you're elbow to elbow with people or, you know, it's, it's so it really is about, I think it's a high quality fishery in the sense of the experience and, and I'm happy for that. And, you know, you mentioned grayling, uh, grayling are, we're so lucky to have grayling. I mean, pound for pound, you know, they are an incredibly aggressive feeding fish. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you can use little spinners, you can use flies. And I mean, generally speaking, any swift, and we actually had a brochure, a fishing brochure for people that were highway angling. And it, it basically said any body of moving water where you see a little eddy and there, it's swifter, clear water, there's a good chance for a grayling in there. And, that, and that's typically been our experience. Um, right downtown Whitehorse, you can fish right off the river, which comes right through town. And in those little back eddies, there's usually a couple grayling kicking around in there. You, you'll see them pretty quick. So I, I love the grayling fisheries. Um, I think we're very fortunate there. And then I love our cold water pike. I yes. mean, our pike fisheries are incredible. Um, you know, just, you know, a lot of it's boat fishing, uh, I'll admit, but you don't have to go far or canoe fishing. Uh, we have a lot of lakes that you can really, you know, <laughs> cover with a canoe, for example, or a kayak or a stand-up paddleboard even these days. Yeah. And uh, so p- our pike fisheries are really, really good. Those are my favorite. Um, and then a lot of people have big boats and they target lake trout uh, in a lot of the bigger lakes. Uh, I'm not much of a big boat fisher. You know, I've been out on them and I have my own, I would say, medium-sized boat. But I, I don't tend to push my luck on, on the big lakes with my boat. Um, and, you know, there, there is a pretty solid crew that targets large lake trout. And that's, that's definitely something that people do. Um, yeah, so it's those three. And then we've got these great stock lakes where you can catch kokanee rainbow trout. I, I just want to share with you one experience yeah. that I had this, this summer, which was new for me. So I'll keep it very brief, but no, no, you know, go ahead. Tell I, us. Was, yeah. I was canoeing, I was canoeing on the Teslin river with, uh, with a group. And you know, a lot of us do canoe trips in the Yukon and, and I, especially with COVID these days, you know, a lot of Yukoners stayed at home and did these canoe trips and we have rivers all over the place. So it was kind of the thing to do. So we did a 10 day river trip and I'm, you know, I'm the angler in the group, and everybody knows I'm the angler in the group. No one else really fished. In fact, I think we had some vegans and vegetarians. We had the whole crew. Um, and so I, had, I brought my rod along, which was, you know, a bit of gear. Anyways, about eight days into the trip, I had caught a few little grayling here and there. But the purpose, we were not picking campgrounds because of where I could fish. And you know what that's like as an angler, right? Oh, you, see pocket water, <laughs> you see pocket water across the river, but yeah. you're, camp, you're camping in a flat spot where there's no fish. Yeah. Um, so this went on for about eight days, and finally on the on the ninth day, somebody in the group said, Dennis, we'd love to get a couple pike. It's my turn for dinner. I want to make a couple pike. Can you get me a couple pike? And I said, I'm going to help you out with that. Yeah. So there was this spot on a map, and I kid you not, it was called Pike Hole. <laughs> and so it's like eight days into this trip, and everyone knew, and I, was, I have to admit the anxiety was building in me and the excitement. And I said, okay, team, I know you just like to paddle, and nobody really cares, but I want to have – 
I want to have an hour in this pike hole. And they're like, Dennis, absolutely. You've been so patient. Good. We literally paddled into that pike hole. No, I mean, we're not, we saw one other canoe the whole trip for 10 days. So yeah. you can imagine this kind of experience. We're getting bushed at this time. Yeah. I pull into this pike, I pull into this pike hole and it's a, it's what you'd imagine, big river and a big teardrop little, it's like a, a big, not big, it was a little teardrop marsh. Okay. Right? Yeah. Perfect yeah. Pike habitat. Yeah. Yeah. Structure. You know, maybe six, eight feet of water. Yeah. Not quick, you know, no moving water in there. And I, I went in there and I almost could hear the angels, just the heaven open up and the angels singing. I'm like, <laughs> this is where the pike lives. <laughs> so I went in there and second cast, first cast was kind of get your, you know, figure out your depths and everything else. Second cast, I had a pike on. I caught maybe a, I don't know, 18, 20 inch pike. Perfect. Little eating yeah. fish Good in the boat, done. Yeah. I handed the rod to my buddy. Who was there was another guy who was kind of interested in angling, never really doesn't do much, but he took second cast, caught a second fish, and I went high five, we're done. That took us 15 minutes, yeah. And a, fr- a friend of mine later said, That's the Yukon, it's literally like the grocery store. You say, You know what? I'd like to get a couple pike, let me just stop here for a minute, grab a couple pike, yeah, yeah, boom, yeah. boom, pike in the boat. <laughs> and we had a pike curry that evening that would rival the best on in any restaurant oh. anywhere. And I mean, that is the Yukon experience. That was interesting to hear about Dennis's uh, life in the Yukon. I enjoyed my time up there uh, with Dave Brown and an AMI-TV film crew. We went up for a week to film the first ever Postcards uh, feature, Postcards from the Yukon. We had some good times. We went to Dawson, we went to Whitehorse, and we went to all places around those communities. Uh, I did go in and see Diamond Tooth Gertie and checked out that musical. That was a lot of fun, you know, really good singing. And I'm told the dancing was amazing and the costumes were totally epic in a, you know, a real sort of replica dance hall from the uh, Gold Rush era from 1900s. Well over 100 years ago, the Gold Rush was going on up there. And how people just fled depression in the South just to have a chance and often just went up there just so they could say, I went to the Yukon. They'd get there, they'd turn around, just come straight back home. Finding actual gold up there, well, you know, if you were one of the 10th on arriving, you probably had very little luck. It was the first few people that had all the luck. But here's a little bit from my own trip to the Yukon with Dave Brown on Postcards from the Yukon. We arrive at the perfect spot with the help of Up North Adventures and our guide, Mark Zrum. Well, guys, we made it to Fish Lake. Excellent. I'm going to get you a couple life jackets. We'll get get them on you, and then we'll get the boat in the water and go fishing. We're going to fish today for lake trout first, and then we're going to try some Arctic grayling. You let me know how I can help work getting the boat in the water, buddy. Well, I'll get you to hold the rope when I back the trailer in, and when the boat comes off, just pull it in the shore, and then we'll all pile on and disappear down the lake, okay? Sounds like a plan. And I'm just going to look pretty. Well, hey, someone has to. <laughs> with the boat in the water, we climb aboard and start to cruise across the lake with Mark at the wheel. Fish Lake, it's right next to Whitehorse, so the lake itself is about 11 kilometers from one end to the other. And it's this big sort of almost kidney-shaped lake. You've got basically mountains on all sides. Mark stops the boat, and finally, it's time to fish. So, Mark, what are we rigging up for here today? Okay, well, we're going to fish for lake trout first. Now let me feel what he got going there. This is what I call a little lindy rig. Yeah? And what it is is it's about oh, 24 inches of 
30-pound monofilm. One yeah. end, you've got a hook, straight hook, yeah. with a, a, some beads and a gold spinner. Yeah. So you want to feel that? Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll put that on. But with a loop at the end of the line here to yeah. clip it onto the main line of the well, fishing rod. Okay, we're going to fish oh, 14 to 10, 10 to 14 feet of water. Right. And that seems to be where the fish are right now. And then we're going to put uh, a freshwater smelt on. Okay. And we're ready to troll. Mark drives the boat slowly while Dave and I gently drop our lines into the lake. Nice to be on the water, feeling the, uh, the waves gently rock the boat, hear the splash of the bow as it cuts through the water and the hum of the motor, the chirp of the fish finder. Also what we need now is the scream of the drag. Working as a guide and on his own time, Mark spends about two to three hundred days a year in the outdoors. You live up here because it's a lifestyle. You live up here because you like the outdoors, you like the slower pace of life. This is the dream. I'm fishing and chatting with a fellow outdoor enthusiast. And you must have seen a lot of changes over the years? Yeah, there, there, there has been a lot of changes. A lot of subtle changes that most people wouldn't notice. I don't know how anyone can deny climate change. Last winter, we did get a little bit of cold weather in March, but we also had, you know, 7, 8 above in January. And that's not normal for here. This puts pressure on the resource. We'll do our part for conservation and practice catch and release today. Fish on! 20, 20 feet. He's coming He's up. He's diving down. He's going down. He's going down. He's giving me some head shakes. Give me some head shakes. He, Bring he his tip up, the tip boat. up, tip up. There he is. He's at the surface. And we got him and in the net. He's in the net. Yeah. Yeah, Mark. Good job, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let me feel him. Let me get him. Just watch. Yeah, I got him. That's about a pound and a quarter leg trope. So, there we go. Give him a kiss. All right. Okay. No, okay. There he goes. Okay, he's there gone. Goes. There he goes. Now Dave's got one. Yeah, Dave. Keep your rod out that way. Real faster, real faster. There you go. That's it. Now, I'm going to come around behind you here. Just keep reeling. Keep reeling. Oh, he's a, there he is. He's a heavy sucker. There he is. Bring it up, bring it up, bring oh, it up. Dave, bring... that's going to be the biggest one. There's another fish. Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. Dave, yeah. Let me, get, let me get him off the hook, Dave. Mark holds up my first fish ever. What a rush. When the skies open and the rain pours down, Mark decides it's time to move. Okay, we're going to pull them in. We're going to strip down the, those rods, and then we're going to go and see if we can catch some grayling. Try for those puppies. I'm good for that, Mark. I want to catch an Arctic grayling. That's on my bucket list. Okay, guys, we're at the spot. We're going to get out our ultralight rods. Uh, Four-pound test. Some little panther martins. And then we're going to get close to shore. And what I'm going to do is put one of you up on the bow. So don't fall off, please. Dave, you hear that? I'll do what I can. <laughs> no, I'll go on and the bow, we'll, buddy. We'll, <laughs> put, we'll put one guy at the back. We're casting in this spot, continually putting our lines in the water and reeling back in. Okay, we're in fishing country. Get out there. Do something. Be useful. I'm on the bow, ready for my first grailing, and Dave's busy casting off the back of the boat. Someone catch a fish. I'm just casting out this really light 
lure. It's a little spinner lure. It's probably got maybe a, a sixteenth of an ounce on what they call ultralight fishing tackle. So the rod is as bendy as a willow branch. Fish on. Okay, just bring them in slow. Bring up the tip. Oh my god. Bring up the tip. Oh my god. Bring up the tip. I can't see him. I got him. You got him! Yeah! Drilling! Oh my god! Oh my god! Okay. Got him. Okay. Got him. Here you go. Look at the fit. Look at that. Look at that beauty! Oh, look at the size of those side fins. Just and hang the, on to him. He's going to explode. Yeah, he's going to jump in a second. Look at that big dorsal fin. It's like a great big feather along its back. Oh, he's beautiful. He's going in. Bye, little fella. Bye, little fella. Oh, yeah! <laughs> Mark, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> good on you. Oh, man. That felt good. And with that bucket list fish caught, we call it a day and head back to shore. I'm thinking uh, I may possibly become an outdoorsman ever so slightly, at least like maybe my big toe. This has got to be one of the best Yukon adventures I'll ever do in my life. It's so much diversity, so much opportunity, so many new experiences every day. Outdoor tips and tech. Welcome back to Postcards from the Yukon. I'm Lawrence Gunther with Dave Brown, visiting a corner of Canada known as the wilderness city, Whitehorse. We're at the Kwanlin Dunn Cultural Center. You're hearing a power saw in the background because we're going to explore some First Nations uh, woodworking today, looking at some traditional uh, boats that used to be used uh, on the rivers here. Transportation by boat for First Nations people was really their most efficient way of getting around. They depended on water for movement and for food. So learning how they built their boats and having a chance to participate in that is going to be really exciting. I'm looking forward to this a lot. I'm Charlene Alexander. I'm the executive director of Yukon First Nations Culture and Tourism Association. We are hosting a Canada 150 project called Don Kwanje Anan. Uh, which is uh, means voices across the water in southern Tishoni, one of the lang one of the uh, indigenous languages of uh, Yukon. It's a project that is uh, a celebration of traditional watercraft of Canada's north. We have a team of uh, boat builders and artists who are building four traditional watercraft, uh, including a birch bark canoe, a dugout canoe, a spruce dugout, an Inuit sealskin kayak, and a moose skin boat. Like many indigenous people across Canada, it's about revitalization and, and bringing back those uh, skills that were lost as a result of colonization. I meet Wayne Price. He's making a spruce dugout canoe for the festival. I've been carving totem poles and dugout canoes since I was 12 years old. So you got a bit of experience here. Oh yeah, I made a few chips. <laughs> made a few chips and some boats came as a result. Yeah, the boat you have your hand on yeah. is my 11th dugout that I've ever built. And how big is this boat? This is a 22-foot Clinkett style river canoe carved out of spruce. So what kind of tools would you use to, to make this? You're not just using sharp stones anymore, are you? Oh no, this is this is an this is called an elbow adds. Yeah. 
Oh wow! That's, look at that. Yeah, no, this is a this is the branch of a tree. This is okay. the, this is the yeah. branch. Yeah. One side of the V-shaped yeah. branch fits in my hand, and the other side holds the blade. Yeah. Okay. So you're scraping like this, pulling no. towards you all the time? No, we make chips with that. We're standing. Just chopping. On, Just yeah. chopping. Yeah. And it's all it's all tied all together with a piece of string. Yeah, up yeah. here. Yeah. But how do you shape these sides here? Like this is a perfect like thickness all the way through. Oh yeah. How do you manage that? How do well, you get that? You can feel with your hand that we use a we drill a we actually drill it full of holes. Okay. Oh, there's, there's a one, yeah. There's one. Little there's, dowels. There's dowels. Yeah. And those dowels are one inch long. Yes. And and we we put those dowels in. Then you got to feel they're coming out this side. Yeah. So when you get to the end of the dowel on the inside, then it, you know you're at one inch. So you, the dowels are your indicators. Yes. So you don't need fancy micrometers or special oh, no. gauges. You, if you're a good dugout builder, a piece of string and a stick. It's all you need. It's all you need. This is for the boat. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I've barely introduced myself to Connie Jules, and she has me helping her move the moose hide that she's fleshing. With the hide draped over a log frame, Connie gets back to work. You have to be pretty strong to be able to do this. Oh yeah, I'm cooking it with the iron. That's what that was. Here? I could hear it sizzling, yeah. and I thought, what so is... So that cooks that top layer of skin. Just to, so you can scrape it off a little bit. And what are you scraping with? Can I feel scraping that? Scraping it with... Uh, what is this tool? Um, I call it... We call it in our language a kahana, but... Oh, it's like a, yeah, it's like a... a log scraper. A log I feel the long blade between the two handles that Connie pulls down the hide. So that's why you have it on this round log here. Yes. So you can use that. But it's not very sharp, is it? No, it's not. You don't want it sharp. You don't want it sharp because you'll cut it up. You'll, you'll, rip the, uh, you'll rip the skin all, you'll shred the skin. Yeah. It will take three hides to cover the wooden boat frame. Lawrence, I really thought you were going to get in one of those boats, get in the river, and sail away. I, I thought you were going to leave us. You know, to hang around with people like that that have so much nautical experience, so much passion for being on the water, and understanding the importance of connecting to the water, it was like a dream come true. I, I don't know about you, Dave, but I, I just loved it. Yeah, I thought it was really neat and just seeing kind of the uh, different cultures from the territory yeah. who all wanted a boat, right? 14 different First Nations cultures in the, in the territory. They all wanted to build a boat, but they did it in a different way. There's one thing you'll notice if you ever have a chance to visit the Yukon Territories, and not a cheap place to travel to. I mean, just flying there from Edmonton, which is a pretty common way to get there, Edmonton to Whitehorse, it's like a three and a half hour flight straight north. Can you imagine? It's like almost flying from Toronto to Vancouver, only this time you're heading straight north. Whitehorse is a city of uh, average size, right? It could be a city anywhere in Canada. It's got all the same stores, all the same style buildings, you know, roads, intersections, everything you would imagine, schools, libraries, but it's in the Yukon Territories. Dawson, on the other hand, you know, where the gold rush took place back in 1900, that's a different kettle of fish altogether. It's got some pretty amazing old buildings in there. It's in the middle of nowhere. It really depends on tourism for everything. And there's a lot of First Nations communities up there, and a lot of them have self-governments. You know, I just heard in the news that uh, they're actually handing out title to land now, some of these First Nations Inuit communities, and people are getting mortgages, able to get mortgages and build houses and actually put insurance on their homes. 
you know, the things we take for granted that there are Indigenous First Nations and Inuit friends are finally able to do. There's a lot of things to see up in the uh, Yukon. It's not just about mining gold like we see on television or we read in old textbooks and so on. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit me at lawrencegunther.com to keep up to date on my blogs and videos. Subscribe to get the latest episodes of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther by visiting your favorite podcast provider. We're dropping new episodes every Friday, folks. And please take some time to rank us and give us some comments on your podcast provider's site so other people will learn about our new show. Send me your feedback, suggestions, and questions on email at feedback at ami.ca or on Twitter at AMI-audio. I want to thank Nazreen Abdel-Majid, Sam Robinson, and Paula Deneen. They're my technicians. The manager of AMI-audio is Andy Frank. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.